Good morning. Great to see you today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. If this is your first time, we welcome you to worship with us here at the mall. Uh, thank you for, for, for taking that dreaded step over that threshold and actually coming in to check it out. Uh, we're thrilled that you've come. A lot of great churches in our area. We believe that with all of our hearts, and we're honored that you would come and worship the Lord together with us today. We had an amazing day yesterday. Uh, if you're a guest here, you're probably not familiar with what we did, or maybe you might know about it. Maybe you came as a result of that. So we're thrilled that you're here, but we had a great turnout. Lots and lots of folks with smiling faces showed up early to get everything stocked and ready and all the turkeys and the stuffing and the corn and green beans and everything that we gave to 250 families. So you are responsible. Your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasure are responsible for putting Thanksgiving on 250 tables in West Memphis, Marion, Crittenden County uh, this Thursday. So just give yourselves one more hand, if you would, please. Let's give God praise. Let's do it that way. Amen. So we're so excited, and uh, it was a blessing. There were folks who left, and lady in tears who hugged us, and she said, truly, I wouldn't have had it had you not done this. And so there were just different circumstances. Folks had an opportunity, prayed with one lady, and just a real blessing to be able to have that time and bless those people. And you made it possible for us to do that. Uh, this morning, one quick thing. In your uh, seats, there's a little help wanted card. And that is, uh, um, we need just a few folks to step forward and maybe take a couple of signs and help us put them out for us in the community. Um, those have been a really, really a critical marketing tool for us for people to sort of catch notice about victory and what's going on. And let me just ask you, if you would get on team with us, we're about to do a great, great thing in, on Advent. Advent is a kind of a church, churchy sort of word, um, which means the arrival of or the coming of. And we talk about the advent of Christ in the manger of Bethlehem. That's his first advent. It's God becoming man. But the season many times gets so caught up in the commercialization and the pressure and the gifts and the parties and all the stuff and everything is redirected away from Christ that, that we really make this emphasis here at Victory and that is that we remember historically the God-man, Jesus, who came and is not just a baby anymore, but he went to the cross, he died for our sins, he got up out of the grave, he is the victorious champion, he is king of kings and lord of lords right now, not going to be one of these days. He's not the king elect, he is the king now. Come on somebody. And so we remember that he came, but we also now, in this remembering his first coming, it is heart preparation for his second coming. Because we believe Jesus is coming back. We believe he's coming back for his bride, the church. We believe he's coming back not to take sides, but to take over. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> and we long for that day. Uh, Lord, let it be before the next election in Jesus' name. Uh, and I'll leave that alone. I don't know where that came from. It just popped out. Um, but anyway, you can help us. Let me get away from that. You can help us. You can help us by taking one of these cards and signing up. We're not talking about putting out a whole bunch of signs or a truckload. Just a couple. Just take a couple in around maybe your, your neighborhood or maybe up and down Missouri Broadway, uh, 77, wherever. Uh, these signs and the way we sort of just fell into the discovery of how it works was our agreement with the, West, the cities of West Memphis and Marion. They said, we'll let you put them out as, as anywhere you want so long as they don't interfere with our mowing. And I said, okay, well, what if we put them out on Friday? Because I'm thinking about mowers are not going to work on the weekends for the state. I said, what if we put them out on Friday and we take them back up Sunday evening or at the latest Monday morning? They said, that's perfect. Put them anywhere you want to. West Memphis and Marion both agreed to do that. 
And what we discovered in that process is the beauty of the absence of them. Because when you see something over and over and over and over, week after week, month after month, year after year, it gets old and you don't look at it and you don't pay attention. But when it's not there and then all of a sudden it pops up on your drive down 77 or down Broadway or wherever you happen to be seeing them, down Missouri, and all of a sudden it pops up, it gets people's attention. And then they turn around next time they've been by in a couple days and it's not there, so they don't notice it. But then it shows up somewhere else. Maybe you move it one block over or, or whatever. And so we found the, just kind of an amazing little secret to marketing is that people see that. And then when you get on team with us and you take that one little Christmas at the movies card and you invite the coworker at work and they go, where do you go to church and what is this? This sounds fun. And they go, oh yeah, I've seen those signs out every now and then. And it's like they disappear. And they'll check the website out because it's a real quick. We just put up church at the mall. VictoryWired.com, 9 and 1045. It was one of those signs that you truly, and it's like every church in town is trying to copy our sign idea, but then they put, they put the whole, write, write the whole New Testament on their sign. And you can't read that. You, it's, like, it's like, okay, somebody's not thinking. And when we did this, it was really smart because it's something that you can pass by and you can get everything understood when you see it. Church at the mall, 9 a.m., 1045. And so... If you'll help us, just maybe you're not on team right now. This is the way you can help us by committing. Now, committing means you're actually going to follow through and do what you're signing up to do. Because a couple folks that did and they're not, and so I'm not going to spank anybody, but how many of you know I'm telling the truth this morning? Because we got some folks that are not doing their job and we need somebody to take up the slack. So come on, if you're going to help us, just say, come on, everybody say amen. amen. So help us get on team with us. And. Um, you know what, if putting out the signs is not for you, everybody can invite one. Everybody say, each one, each one. reach one. Four Sundays of Advent, we're going to be talking about hope, love, joy, peace. We're going to watch clips from favorite movies that everybody watches during the holiday season. I kick it off next Sunday with hope. And we'll just you just wait. You'll just see what we're going to show. It's cool. You're going to have fun. We're going to talk about Jesus in the middle of all of these favorite Christmas movies that you have. Because it's all about him and it all points to him. Come on, somebody. Very evangelistic, great opportunity to invite your friends. So get on team with us. We're not talking about 10 phone calls or 20 cards. Just say it one more time. Each one, reach one. Just invite one. That's all I'm asking. Bring them in here. Get them in here on Sundays. We're going to really make sure that Jesus is the center of this thing. And we're, we're expecting the Spirit of the Lord to show up and save people. That's what this is, an evangelistic thrust for us this year. Will you help us? Somebody say amen. All right, the title of the message this morning, as we wrap up, this is number eight in the Poet Warrior King series. Now, three messages ago, I decided that I didn't want to skip over all of this and jump to when David's king and then hit when he fails with Bathsheba and then his repentance and turning back and then his deathbed words. That's the way I'd originally planned it. And I said, no, I said, no, that's not enough. I got... I got tangled up this morning. <laughs> I want you to hear what I said. <laughs> I said, no, that won't work. <laughs> and so I decided we're going to actually do this in three sets of. We're going to do three sets of eight. We're going to do one in 2016 and then probably one in the fall of 2016. So we're going to do three Poet Warrior King series, eight each. Today we're rolling into uh, number eight. It's called Ziklag. This little city where David's found refuge. And the title of the message is called, When You've Lost Everything. Say that with me. When You've Lost Everything. Now, um, before I do that, I want to take two minutes and tell you what's happened between 
Nabal and Abigail and in Gedi and when David cut off the, the tail of Saul's robe. There's three or four chapters that I'm going to have to skip. Um, David ends up having another scenario where Saul comes back after him. Saul doesn't keep his word. He's in the hunt again. He's trying to kill David. And David spares his life a second time. Shouts to him from another a hill, wooded, rocky scenario. And he takes King Saul's spear and the jug that was right beside his head, sneaks into the camp, spares Saul's life, and then shouts to him and says, are we going to keep this up? This is, again, I've shown you that I have no animosity toward you. And so David spares Saul's life again. He, he finds refuge again the second time in Gath, which is the Philistine city. And Achish, the king of Gath, gives David Ziklag, which is, has been a Philistine stronghold. And so David has Ziklag now where his 600 men and their wives and their children are all hanging out now. So it's not just 400 men in a cave, but it's 600 men, their wives and children. David has two wives, okay? Now, I'm not going to stop and fuss with the culture of the Old Testament and the polygamy that was practiced, and numerous wives and all of that. We know that that's not today for us, okay? But I'm going to show you, I'll redeem that in a few minutes, and we'll talk about really what the picture of that is showing, okay? Um, Saul is pursuing David again. He drives all of the mediums, all of the seers, all the fortune tellers out of Israel. Samuel has died, his trusted counselor. And basically Saul is in the hunt trying to find, get a word from God because he's in a crazy, maddened state. He, he's paranoid because he knows that David is going to be the next king. Um, he literally finds a witch in Endor. And he, he, he disguises himself, takes two men with him and a, uh, you know, a, a nice handsome award payment to pay the witch. And he fools the witch of Endor for a little bit. She responds and she says, I, 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 can't, I can't give you any kind of a word or tell your fortune or what the future is to hold because basically this, the king, King Saul, has driven everybody out of the nation and he's threatened uh, everyone's lives, anyone who is a seer, anyone who is able to peer into the future. And so this is not a godly woman. This is not Samuel who is a prophet of God, who is a seer by the word of the Lord, but this is a witch who judges things by familiar spirits. So they're demon spirits that are involved in telling her uh, all these things. And so Saul goes to the witch of Endor and she holds a seance and actually calls up Samuel from the dead. The scripture says the Lord allowed Samuel. So Samuel appears there in the midst of the seance and when he appears and Saul realizes that it's Samuel, he addresses Samuel and Samuel brings a curse and said, the kingdom's rent from you, the Lord has departed from you and this day you will lose your life. And the story rolls out of that into the battle where both David and John, I'm sorry, both Saul and Jonathan lose their lives. That's where we're going to actually start the new series. So in chapter 30, this is where David is in the in Ziklag. And we call it when you've lost everything. And I think you'll see why. You can remain seated. I'm not going to have you stand to read, but just listen, I'm going to read this to you this time, okay? Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag. On the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. Now, before I go on, let me tell you who the Amalekites are. Does everybody remember Jacob's brother's name? 
Jacob had a brother and his name was Esau. Everybody say Esau. Let me give you some history. Let's go back. Abraham marries Sarah. They can't have babies. God's made a promise. Sarah brings him the Egyptian bondmaid, Hagar, and they birth Ishmael. God says, this ain't it. There's a promise yet to come. Abraham and Sarah both receive strength to conceive, and God brings Isaac into play. His name means laughter, and God brings joy into the house when he fulfills the promise. You know the story. He takes him to the mountain to sacrifice him. Angel stops him. Isaac grows up, marries Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons. She's pregnant with twins, and those sons' names are what? Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name is changed. He becomes what? What's his, what does Jacob's name become? Israel. Everybody say Israel. So Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. So now we know where we are. David is in that line. He's a son of Israel. Now, the Amalekites are descendants of Esau. Okay, so what we're talking about is we're talking about third cousins twice removed. Talking about folks that actually got just enough of your blood to claim it if you might be starting to get famous. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're related. But how many of you know sometimes the folk that fight you are up in your own house? Share the roots of the same stinking family tree. Now, now, what these are, the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. Now, let me just show you how close this is to you because every one of us walks around with the memory of the influence of a sin nature. We're new creations in Christ, but this memory of Adam, the Adamic nature, the sinful man that we were all born with, this is the picture of the Amalekites, the flesh that pull at you and, and that wrestle in war against the spirit. Spirit is willing, the Apostle Peter said, but the flesh, and he's talking about the body now. The flesh is weak, you get tired. But, but flesh even beyond that is that sinful nature and the memory of it that tries to pull and draw and distract away from the new creation, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the Amalekites, the real historical battle that took place, they were related to Esau. So they're some distant cousins way, way, way back. They're, you know, descendants of your uncle, Uncle Esau, okay? So the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and they burned it with fire. Everybody say burned it with fire. Let's go on. Here we go. And they had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Now let me just stop right here and just say this. We have the, 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 the privilege of looking back in history and seeing things that David and the men didn't know yet. They didn't know whether everybody they loved was totally annihilated. They knew they were gone because Ziklag and their whole refuge and everything they owned was burnt to the ground, fire. They're digging through ashes looking to see what's left. No wife, no, no children. I mean, it's just total decimation. It's complete, lost everything. Okay, go ahead. Verse 4. And verse 3, I'm sorry, when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. God, we ask you to help us today. Spirit of the Lord, you're the only teacher. I acknowledge that. We ask you to speak. Give us words today that are custom made for the individual hearts of the men and women sitting in this room. Lord, for those who may listen to this on the internet in the future, 
God, thank you today that moments that we experience of great loss, that you bring comfort and you bring strength. There are people in this room this morning right now, Father, that are, that, are, that are in this season. There are those who've just come out of it, and thank you, Lord, that they're in a place of rejoicing and celebration. Lord, there are people in this room right now that don't know it, but they're heading into a season like this. God, help us all. Help us to be a spiritual family that loves you first and loves one another with that same care and love. Wrap your everlasting arms around us, O oh God, and speak to the needs of every person in this room today, I pray. In Jesus' name, we'll be careful to give you all the praise. All of God's people said, amen. amen. The one thing that I want to underscore in your thinking today from this message, in your notes, one thing I want you to take home with you, one thing I do not want you to forget, one thing that this week when you are facing a circumstance and something of this message uh, touches something in your life. A memory is brought up. A perspective is brought into focus because of news that comes, because of a circumstance that's changed. One thing, this is what I want you to see right here. Read it out loud with me. Loss isn't optional. Response is. Say it again. Loss isn't optional. Response is. It was a famous Jewish, I believe, psychologist later who wrote a couple of books and he talked about the captivity that he faced in the Nazi internment camps and the fear of possibly going to the gas chamber. And he said, though these seemingly demonized men took everything from me, they took my food and my water and my clothing and my shelter and my dignity, but the one thing they could never take was my, cho my choice. They couldn't take my choice and how I was going to respond to them. And, and the writer talks about choosing not to hate and looking in the eyes of people who hated him with everything in them. And he chose to dig deep and try to find something of love in the place of and in the face of that hatred. And if there ever was a true story, if there ever was a Jewish man who could talk about this, it was Jesus who, in the face of his captors and his haters, chose to love in the face of rejection. And because he was rejected, we have been accepted. And because he was despised and beaten and bruised, now we can know the love of the beloved. We are called the beloved by the Father and we can know what it means to walk in strength and wholeness and healing because of every stripe that he took and every word that cursed him, we now have freedom. Come on, somebody, are you thankful for that? Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Loss is an optional response is. My, my heart broke this week as I heard the story of one of our brothers in this congregation who, out of the blue, thinking everything is great, lost his job. And I've been praying for him every day and just lifting him up and his family and the difficult times, the difficult circumstances that they're walking through. And the, the, loss, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a loved one, the, the, the untimely loss when you get the news, God forbid, that, that an accident has taken place and you've lost a child. Uh, just out of the order of things. It's just not the way things should happen. We Parents, we're supposed to be buried before we bury our children. And, and there are women in this room and men in this room who've had that loss to, to hear the doctor call and say, come in, we need to talk about your results. And you know that's not good. And you hear cancer and you... 
you've gone through seasons of loss and what that means and, and, and lost loved ones to that dreaded disease. And we could describe everything imaginable. You put everything you can into a marriage and then you just come down to the realization that it's just gone. I, there's nothing that I can do. And, I, and, and, and you finally just have to step into a new chapter of your life because of the loss that's occurred. Because you're willing to work it out, but she's not or he won't. And he won't turn. He won't repent. And the loss that you've experienced is indescribable. And maybe it was a business and a dream that you put together and the, just the bottom fell out. Or, or maybe it was getting ready to retire and, and investments had done well and 401k was just soaring and you were praising God. And then the bubble burst in the stock market and all that you had, just you watched it drain over a period of three or four days. And just the loss and going, God, what am I going to do? Everybody in this room, if you live long enough, you will experience at least one or two of those kinds of circumstances. Loss of a loved one, loss of a mate, loss of a child. God forbid, loss of you know, any of those things. The loss of a job, it's just hard. Loss is an optional. Loss, life brings loss. Loss is an optional, but my response is how I choose to go through that and where I look for my strength and where I find my source of life and, and what Bernie so amazingly touches when he sings this song. Nobody can, the Desperation Band can't sing it the way Bernie can sing it. I, I need you, Jesus, come to my rescue. Where else can I go? Amen. And this is... This is where David and the men who've come back and, 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 and their wives are gone and everything they have is burnt to the ground. It's toast. It's black. It's soot. And there's the first moment of shock and there's just this big-eyed staring at reality that you just go, okay, whoever's doing the practical joke, come out, come out wherever you are. Come on, come on, baby, come on. Wife, come on, children, where are you? And then the reality sinks in. And everybody begins to stop the big-eyed questioning and they begin to weep. And the men weep, the Bible says, until they had no more strength. And they wept and they wept and they wept. This is what I want you to see. In the midst of this, something happens. Something takes place. Something shifts. When we go through a season of loss, it is just so easy to move into this place. And it's what I call the high cost of unrealistic expectations. Everybody say those last two words. Unrealistic expectations. Every parent in here knows. Every boss knows. Every dreamer who's put something together because you wanted to bless people and then you felt betrayal and you felt hurt and you felt lost and you felt wounded. Every parent who's delivered what it means to be a good parent and said yes to your children most of the time, but then no, and then when no came through and disappointment was there, and they blame you. Amen. And they blame the parent, or it's too easy if we're an employee, we blame the boss, or if we're a sheep, we blame the shepherd, or we're a church member, we blame the pastor. Now, it's not about me this morning. I'm just one of a number of different kinds of leaders. And what I want you to see is that every one of you is a leader in here in some kind of capacity. And it's so hard and difficult when you're walking through a season and everybody's putting on you the high cost of unrealistic expectations. I want you to see this. Look at 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because they were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Oh, how, how, 
How many times I've seen people walk through difficult circumstances and their immediate response is, first of all, the frustration and then the anger and then the anger turns to bitterness and in bitterness they look to try to find some kind of blame to put on somebody else. And I've been the unfortunate recipient of those kinds of feelings more than a couple of times. And early on as a young pastor, I knee-jerked it and wanted to just kind of like, well, yeah, come on, I'll whoop you in the name of Jesus, you know. <laughs> and then as I actually kind of matured a little bit myself, I realized they can't help it. They're just in a bad place. i got to love them through this. i got to, in the middle when they're ready to fight and stone me, i got to throw my arms around them. And sometimes when your children are hurting and they're blaming you, that's the time really when they're crying out the most to go, just, just I don't understand, you don't have to say anything, just be here, just love me. I'm struggling. The high cost of expectations. And, and, and I, just, I just want you to see because this is what you feel like right here. Everybody know what this is? Come on, every man in the room, you just rue the day. You got to get in the attic and get all the Christmas stuff down. <laughs> And you go, where is that cotton-picking power strip? <laughs> this, this, is, this is what we all, this is what every one of us, this is what moms and dads, this is what employers, this is what leaders of any kind feel like because you, you, you've plugged in to the, to the daily pressure of all of the expectations of everything, the, 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 the deadlines that have to be met. And on addition to that, you've, you've got a family at home that says, you never spend any time here with us and you're just spending so much time at work and all you're doing is just living for that job and pleasing that boss and your wife is plugged in and she's expecting you to be able to make up the needs and the kids are saying, Dad, you missed my ball game this week. Why weren't you there? Oh yeah, baby, I promise I'm going to be there. And the kids have their expectations for you and it doesn't stop there until before you know it, you've got so many things plugged into you that you don't even have any ability to have any more room and you're plugging in going God give me strength oh Lord to let that moment your power strip in your own personal life blows a breaker and flips a switch and things go dark for a moment and you have to say God I got to unplug from everybody's expectations and I'm just going to live to please you Lord follow my heart now, you can't cut off everybody. You can't cut off your boss. You can't cut off your wife. You can't cut off your children. But sometimes there are days when you just have to say, I need a personal health day. I need a little bit of time where I unplug everything except I'm going to plug into the Lord. And I'm going to make sure that my strength is found in God and in God alone. And this is what I want you to see. There are times when every one of us worked through seasons and you know that folks have quit living for better or worse and they've started living in for bitter or worse. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? Because every season of life can either make you better or it can make you bitter. And it's all in our choices. Loss isn't optional, but my response is. How I react, how I respond to my circumstances really is going to be the difference in whether I create more problems or whether I see God come through and bring a change in my life. And when I feel like everything is plugged into me and looking to me for strength and I'm running on fumes myself, Come on, can I just confess to you? There are seasons when I'm going, okay, spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. And I'm going, I can't, I can't pump up a drop out of this thing. Oh, pastor, you're supposed to be full of the Holy Ghost and have the word of the Lord all the time. 
Come on, it's the same thing. Parents, kids are looking to you going, oh, I've got this opportunity. This, this situation has arisen. What should I do? What's the will of the Lord for my life? First of all, be thankful you've got kids that even talk in those kind of terms. Amen. If you do. And if you don't, you pray until you see something change and turn in their lives and they begin to get God-centered and God-focused. I was on the phone with my sweet baby girl this week. I don't have the opportunity or the time to tell you the indescribable opportunities that are being set before her in the church and in the world, both. And I just said, baby, there comes a time. You're 20. You're going to be 21 in January. There comes a time when you don't look to mom and dad to be the word of the Lord for you anymore, but you unplug from me and you plug into God directly. You get a direct power line. You become your own power strip and you plug into the Lord. And baby, I'm not the word of the Lord to you anymore, but I'll be a confirming word to you. And you hear from the Lord yourself. And guess what? I'll say, yes, baby, I, that resonates with me. I believe that's the spirit of God. Let's step in that direction. And we, we've got your back. We support you. She was just in a, in a dilemma this week because of opportunities. And I told both of my children growing up, I said, you will never, the, the biggest challenge you will face will be being able to discern between the good and the best. Because you're going to have a lot of opportunities, a lot of chances, a lot of things will come your way. You know, everybody expects us to learn between, to know how to choose between the good and the bad. But if you live right and the heart, your heart is toward God and you, he, his favor is on your life, your struggle will be choosing between what's good and everything out here looks good. But really what is the best? What is God's perfect will for my life? Somebody say amen. This is what David did. David's greatly distressed. Everybody's plugged into him. They're blaming him. They're talking about stoning him. And this is my next point. Everybody say, take responsibility. Nudge your neighbor and say, encourage yourself. The word courage comes from the French word cour. C-O-E-U-R. It means heart. Courage means that you are heartened. You are strengthened with heart to take on a task. When you become discouraged, it means that heart has been sucked out of you. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the determination to get up and go on in the face of fear. Courageous people are not fearless. Danger is real, but fear is a choice. Come on, let me just say this to you right now. Terror is all around us. ISIS will become a greater threat to the United States of America. But we choose whether or not we are going to be terror-stricken and live in fear because our God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. Put your hands together and give Him praise. Come on. David is hearing the men whisper. The potential of him losing his life is around him because they're talking about stoning him because their hurt and their anger has turned into bitterness of soul because of losing their wives and their sons and daughters and they're literally starting to think about picking up stones and killing him. And this is what the Bible says. But David, let's read it out loud with me. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. King James says he encouraged himself in the Lord. I, I don't know what you came to do. Come on. It's the way, the way the black gospel song says, I don't know what you came to do. I came to praise his name. His name. I came to testify his name. I don't know what you showed up for this morning. 
But there are times when I need a drink as much as I'm here to give somebody else a drink. And I need to drink deeply from the well of the Lord. And I have to say, God, I encourage myself. When I don't feel like there's anybody else that's going to encourage me any at all, I make the decision to plug into him and encourage myself, take heart myself, fill my heart up with the word, with encouraging faith-filled words, begin to sing and lift my perspective and get it off myself and how down and out and depressed and discouraged I am. And I start lifting up my eyes so I can see something from a whole different perspective. Come on, somebody. <laughs> David made the decision to encourage himself in the Lord his God, and you have to take personal responsibility to keep yourself encouraged, especially when somebody else is looking to you. Come on, when, 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 when you're single and you don't have a house and a mortgage and a car payment and kids and a husband or a wife or whatever, you know, you, you have the luxury of getting depressed and staying there. But how many of you know when you got people looking to you, you go, I, I, I don't have time for this. I got to shake this off. I got to encourage myself in the Lord. Come on, somebody. Because there's too many plugging into my power strip. I got to keep the power moving through me. I got to keep the power ministering to me and strengthening me because I've got a husband or a wife or children who are looking to me or people that see me as a leader in their lives. And God, I got to, I got to once in a while just unplug everything and just plug into you and keep myself encouraged in the Lord. Be your own cheerleader if nobody else will. Look at your neighbor and say, cheer yourself. Cheer up now, come on. Your first action step. First thing you got to do before you do anything else is you better get a word from the Lord. Everybody say, get a word. Lord, we need to hear from you. When I hear a word from God, it changes everything because I have direction. I, I sense purpose. I get disconnected from purpose and all the, the fuzziness and all the distraction of the enemy and all he attempts to try to move me away from my purpose to steal, kill, and destroy. But when I get a fresh word from the Lord, it's like it brings everything back into alignment and I've got energy and I've got power and I've got strength and I've got heart. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, by the word of Christ. And so when I hear that word from God, when it, when it jumps off the page, when a scripture is life to me and it's like it just, it comes alive. When everything else is, is saying the opposite, but I've got a word on it that, that's telling me and every, all the other voices are screaming against it, but I've got a word from God, I can stand against the forces of hell. Or as that prophet Tom Petty said, you can stand me up at the gates of hell and baby, I won't back down. If there ever was a secular song that was anointed, that one is. Tell your neighbor, say, I won't back down. No, no, no. Anyway, your first action step, get a word from the Lord. Look at this. This is what he did. David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. The ephod was something that the high priest wore. Had a stone on the breastplate, 12 different stones that represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel. A little pocket that held these mystery stones called the Urim and the Thummim. And they were used to make decisions to discern what the will of the Lord was from the high priest. Now, we don't, we're, not, we're not casting lots to decide direction, but the Urim and the Thummim is literally the working presence of the Holy Spirit in your life when you sense peace in your heart or you're, you're sensing that something is not right, a gut feeling that's stirring you up going, no, this is not good, don't, don't take that step. Wait 
Wait, says the Lord. We'll just wait on him. And so David called for the ephod, and this is what he did, verse 8. David inquired of the Lord. He asked God. He said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered them, him, pursue. Look at this, guys. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. My, 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 my. David, David is up. And he's like bumping chest with the men in the cave now. Come on, we're going to take this thing. I got a word from God. Get up. Come on. You can't stay in a bitter place. Going to be bumping chest and pushing on them and agitating them a little bit and stirring them up. Come on, you're a warrior. You're a kingdom man. We're, we are not going to settle for this. We're going to march into the enemy's camp and we're going to take back what was stolen from us. And two or three of the mighty men, it gets on them and the Holy Ghost starts moving and they're bumping chests with other people going, get your butt up out of this depression you're doing and we're going to go take back what's ours. They pursue, the Bible says. My next point, pursue until it has come to pass. Let's get the scripture. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook Bezor where those who were left behind stayed. Everybody couldn't go. 600 men. We're talking about probably most of those guys had a wife. Maybe one or two kids apiece. Some of them maybe had three. So we're talking about Ziklag probably has 2,500 to 3,000. All of a sudden they came home from a raid. Everybody's gone and everything's burnt down. David's made it through the whispering of his men talking about stoning him, and he's got a word from God now. So he encourages the men, and they all get up to move, but there were some of them that were still just in a state of grief and depression. They didn't have the energy. Look at this. But David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. Let me make this real in your life this morning. Come on, somebody in this room, or somebody listening to this, maybe next year, who knows, Right now, you have gone through such a season of devastating loss that it's all you can do just to get up out of the bed and throw some water in your face. You can't even dress. You're exhausted. There's nothing left. There is no power strip. You're just living off of fumes in your own life. Some of you, maybe somebody doesn't even know how you even got to church here today. Hear the word of the Lord. God is going to revive you and rescue what was yours, even if you don't have the energy to get up and go get it yourself. 200 are left who didn't cross the brook Bezor. And I want you to see this as I bring this message down to its close. My next to last point, David recovered all. Hear this. They find an Egyptian out in the field and come to find out as they were moving and heading out for their pursuit, this Egyptian had been left because he'd gotten sick and he was actually a slave to the master of this Amalekite raid. And he says, I'll tell you exactly where they are if you'll spare my life. And so they bring the Egyptian to Jesus and they give him bread and they give him water and they give him a cake of figs this is the picture of me and you when we came to Jesus as a sinner. We had an Egyptian heart. We, weren't, we didn't have the, the covenantal heart of the new creation race of Israel. But we all had Egyptian hearts and we were found in a field sick, dead. And they brought us to David, which is Jesus. 
And they gave us bread, the word. They gave us water and washed us. And they gave us the cake of figs. That literally represents the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden we revive and we sit up because now we've got new life. And we've been given a promise. And we were told if we'll just show them where the encampment of the enemy is, that our life is spared. We're covered now by a warrior that's interested in who we are. Because now I've been given new life. And, and I was found out in the field. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, the field is the world. So Jesus is going after all the Egyptian hearts out there in the world to rescue them this is the beauty of this because when God rescues an Egyptian and he promises them life he says now show me where all your friends are networked because we're going we're gonna to gather in the spoil we're going we're gonna to recover everything that the enemy has stolen from your life and from the lives of the people of God and look at what happens here for Samuel 30 David, read it out loud David recovered what? everybody say all not just some. There wasn't... <clears throat> Jacobim didn't lose his wife. Jerry got his back. Sally Jim's wife showed up. All of the children. All the stuff. Now, it wasn't until this moment that they wondered whether or not their wives and their children were even alive. So they're going out in faith, hopefully, that the word that their leader, David, has from God. He's heard from the Lord and says, pursue, for surely you will recover all. And David's given them that word to put some hope into their hearts. But they don't know whether that's really going to come to pass yet or not. They're hoping, they're hopeful, they're, they're going in faith. And they get there, and I love it. Oh, my goodness, I love it. I got every man in this room will love this. Listen to this. Verse 16 of 1 Samuel 30. And when he had taken him down, behold, it's the Egyptian now, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Verse 17, And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped. From twilight until the evening of the next day. From sunrise until sunset. I love the King James because it says David beat them down. How many of you know that the enemy who stole from you, your heavenly David Jesus, is going to open a can and he's going to give them a beat down? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Put your hands together. As a matter of fact, it's not what he's going to do. That's actually what he already did at Calvary 2,000 years ago. It's already a finished work. And look at this. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. There are those two wives. Look at, read it out loud. Come on, here we go, everybody. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. Real loud, last line. David brought back all. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah! Now, David's day is a completely different day of culture Polygamy was practiced. But let me tell you what David's two wives represent. David's two wives represent the Old Testament saints that were recovered in the work of Christ at Calvary and the New Testament saints, the bride of Christ, that were recovered at the work of Calvary. Because both of these look to something. David and his generation, like the, the wings of the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord... Remember, it's the, it's the mercy seat 
that the high priest would go into once a year and sprinkle the blood inside the chest, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, was the law, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a golden pot of manna. Three things, okay? Inside that are those three things, and the mercy seat's on top of it. Now, you remember what happens when you put on priestly garments and you're not qualified to do it. Everybody who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what happens when you open the chest and you ain't got no business opening the chest. Your, it truly is. Man, my face melted off. That's what those guys said in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So the blood is applied. It's sprinkled. It is the payment for the sins, the sacrifice. Jesus on the cross literally hangs between the old covenant that looks forward to a sacrifice, the Messiah that would come, and the new covenant that looks backward to one that has already been given. And so the cross is in between and Jesus hangs in the middle. And Jesus, our heavenly David, became the temple of the Lord. He became the sacrifice, the lamb that took away the sins of the world. He became for us the priesthood that was pure and immortal and undying. And so in that place of standing in the middle between heaven and earth and offering the payment and the penalty of sin being poured out on Him, the old covenant saints looked forward to one they believed in faith. They were saved by grace through faith just like you and I are looking forward to a Messiah who is yet to come. We are saved by grace through faith looking back to one who has already come and who has already won the victory for us. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Listen as I finish, last point. Jesus shares the spoils of his conquest. If you read the rest of 1 Samuel 30, let me get this one verse. 1 Samuel 30, let me get it. Here we go. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And when you read to the rest of the chapter, five more verses, there's a dozen cities. He sends it to Bethel and to Hormah and all of these towns around. And the whole point is, is that... <clears throat> When David went, he didn't just get back the stuff that was theirs that had been stolen. He got back all, all the, the wealth, the gold, the silver, everything that those Amalekites had been stealing from everybody all over Judah, all over the Philistine cities. And so when he brought all of that back in... He sent presents out to everybody. Look at the grace of Jesus who has won everything and he shared his riches with everybody here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Colossians 2.15, Jesus hung on the cross and the devil thought he had beaten him, but it was actually Satan's defeat in disguise. And the scripture says, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He spoiled principalities and powers. Toe up. He did a beat down from sun up to sundown. And three days in the grave, he marched down into the very gates of hell, in the pit of hell. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 2 that the one who has held men in fear and subjection all of their lifetime, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, Jesus looked at the devil and he says, I think you've got something that's mine. You, you were mistaken. You picked up the wrong set of keys and those are mine. I want the keys to death. I want the keys to Hades. Give them up right now. They're yours or I'm going to do a beat down. The devil knew he was defeated. So he hands over the keys 
The keys of everything, your future, your destiny, are not in the devil's hands. He doesn't have any power over you. Jesus has already won. Come on, the battle is already won. Put your hands together. Last thing and I'm finished. 2 Corinthians 2.14. The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea. and Man, I love this. I love this. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And as Paul writes that in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it's literally a Roman practice. When a Roman general comes home from conquest and he has taken captivity, a leader, a king of a land, and he's brought back the spoils, the, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, and, and a multitude of slaves. Literally, when he would come back into Rome, Rome would throw him a a triumphal procession is what it was called. It was a victor's or a hero's parade. It's like the Kansas City Royals when they won. Just the, 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 not the Super Bowl, but the World Series here just recently, just a few weeks ago. And so Kansas City throws this great big uh, parade and they have a big hootenanny, a big celebration. Well, that literally came from, that came out of Bible times. The idea of heroes coming home from war, like that famous kiss when World War II ends and you see the sailor and the beautiful girl kiss in the streets of New York City and it's that famous kiss because they're coming down in the ticker tape parade and all the confetti is flying everywhere and war has ended because it's over with. The, the enemy's been defeated. We've got something to celebrate. And so the whole point of this is, is that the, the battle that so many folks are thinking is already out there in the future and, and out there yet to be fought, that battle was actually fought 2,000 years ago. Jesus has already won it. It's a finished work. It's finished. And now because of the finished work and God's gift of grace to you, of sharing everything, the booty, the spoils, all the stuff, the silver and the gold is mine and the precious stones and everything you need, all you have to do is just breathe a prayer of trust and he will send to you what you need. And oh, that's not even the half of it. The beauty of this is that now I'm actually in the parade with him because as Bernie sang this morning, I'm a captive of his grace. He's captured me with grace. Rescue me, Jesus. Where else will I go? Jesus is the heavenly general who is marching through the earth in triumphal procession and all of the kings of the earth are bowing before him. And I'm talking to a room full of people this morning that are in line. You're in that triumphal procession. You've got something to celebrate. Don't let the enemy distract you and rob from you. Loss is optional, but your response... Loss isn't optional, but your response is. Learn to praise him in the middle of it. Learn to praise him. Learn to encourage yourself in the middle of the struggle. Because Jesus has already won the battle and already finished the work. Put your hands together one more time and give the Lord praise this morning.